This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and you're listening to Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast all about giving you simple and sustainable strategies to help you live your happiest and healthiest life. In today's podcast, I chat with therapist Whitney Goodman all about toxic positivity. We discuss things like why good intentions are not good enough and can actually be invalidating. We also talk about how to support without trying to fix others. We have an interesting discussion about toxic positivity in the wellness and self-help industry and religion and what a better approach would be. Before we begin, I want to remind you that you can listen to exclusive ad-free content on Patreon. This month's bonus episode is all about how to wire out any harmful effects from COVID and long COVID. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Dr. Leaf for more information. And as always, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. Please always consult with your personal physician or appropriate medical personnel for medical issues. And now, on to the episode. Welcome back, Whitney. It's so nice to see you again. We had such a great chat last time, and I've been on your podcast, and it's really great to chat with you again. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's good to see you again as well. Well, you have just released a new book, Toxic Positivity, and yeah. I think it's a book that's much needed. There you go. Thank you for holding it up. As <laughs> I explained course. to you just before we started, your the copy, my copy's in Miami and I'm back in Dallas now, but it's great. I love it and I love what you do. It's just so important for this time that we're in because I think, you know, we're trying to be helpful to I think there's this desire to help people, but we can be we can be so toxic in our positivity. So before we begin, for those who haven't heard who you are, you could just introduce yourself. I've done an intro and people can hear that, but just you know who you are from what you do. And then I'd love to know why you wrote this book. Yeah. So my name is Whitney Goodman. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of Florida. And I also do a lot of writing on Instagram for other publications. I started writing about toxic positivity back in early 2019. And I made a post that was like toxic positivity phrases in one column. I called it toxic positivity. And then the other column, I put validation and hope. And I had a very small following at the time. And that was kind of when this post like went viral and it started, the phrase started getting a lot of attention. And at, over the last couple of years, I've just seen so much of this type of rhetoric and discussion, especially on social media and around the pandemic, that I was like, okay, there's clearly a need to continue talking about this and to give people other tools, especially to support one another. I think as a therapist, that's the biggest downside I see with toxic positivity is that it shuts down conversations and makes people really unable to connect about the hard stuff in their life. Explain why that is. You know, you've highlighted that concept and what you I'd love to just zone in on that and make a quick comment. That's when I interviewed you. It was very soon after that 
viral post. Yes, yes. Yeah, and so since then, there's just been a whole, you know, it's it's been almost like a counter movement that I believe, you know, that, that you've mm-hmm. cre- helped to create to try and balance. Because, you know, we always do this. We tend to, humanity gets all excited about one concept yes. and then goes on the <laughs> other side and we need to come back and have some sort of middle road. So I'd yeah. love to, to pick up on your last statement about how people feel blocked or not able to really talk about how they're feeling because of toxic positivity. Can you explain that more and give some examples? Yeah. So often when people are complaining about something, venting, whatever, they're met with these platitudes of like, it'll be okay. Look on the bright side. Time heals all wounds. Everything happens for a reason, whatever. And I think people are really well-intentioned when they give this advice and they They want to fix the problem. They want to be kind and considerate. And I think that's why this phrase of like toxic positivity triggers people a lot because they're like, but I'm just trying to be nice or I'm just trying to be helpful. But what really happens when we say this to people when they're struggling is they go, okay, I can't talk about this anymore. You're effectively telling me to be quiet, that you don't want to hear about it, or that you can't handle my distress, that my distress makes you uncomfortable or scared, whatever it is. And so I find that after that, a lot of people become very isolated and afraid of sharing with other people because it can feel like a rejection in some way. That's amazing. Very, very good explanation. And and it's so true. And those platitudes have been around for years. It's not something new. But there's definitely, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but it almost feels like with the rise of CBT, not that I'm anti-CBT, I think it has its role in a myriad of different things that we can do to help people and people can do to help themselves. But there is this thing, okay, I'm just going to replace that toxic issue thought with another positive one mm-hmm. without doing the work of, so there's just this almost like I can cancel the one with the other, but it doesn't quite work like that. And it feels to me like toxic positivity falls in that role as well. If I just yes. say something that sounds nice and healthy in good intentions and all, it's just going to make the other thing better or go away. But as you so rightly said, actually if the person going through that emotion or through that thing, they feel invalidated. Exactly, exactly. And I think you're on to exactly why it feels that way that I was really surprised when I was researching for this book about a lot of the research on things like positive affirmations, repeating positive things to yourself, that when people are saying positive affirmations to themselves, there's often this big disconnect between what we think is true and what we're saying to ourselves. And shame really tends to bubble up in that gap. And it's hard for people to believe what they're saying. And so I think with CBT and a lot of these resources that can be good, we learn that like, okay, if I just say this to myself enough times over and over, I'll believe it. And I haven't found that to really be true in my own practice or necessarily in some of the research, especially for people with very low self-esteem. I am so pleased at how brilliantly you described that. And I love how you said the gap between what you're saying and what you're believing because those positive affirmations, they're not terrible things. They're not mm-hmm. evil or bad, but if they're used incorrectly, they just can be, they can cause shame. As you said, the shame bubbles up in the gap or the, you know, what's wrong with me? Why can't this, why doesn't this work for me? And I, th- I don't know if you also find this such an issue that people will wake up and they'll say these, stand in front of the mirror and say these 10 affirmations yes. thinking if I say it enough times, I'm going to convince myself. 
But that's not enough. You can't just lay a Band-Aid on the wound. You have to actually find out why I need the affirmation in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you dive into. So that gap is really a big a big arena that you work in, isn't it? The, dis- the disconnect between the two and then the gap of why you've got the toxic, the, the, the need to say that the toxic positive affirmation in the first place. Right. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but that's how I understand no. your work. Absolutely. It's, it's like, why can't we sit in that gap and, and experience the pain and feel it and be with someone? And I think we do this in relationships where we're like, this is uncomfortable. I just want to make it go away. So I'm going to tell you something nice. And we do it to ourselves where we're trying, like you said, to put a bandaid on the feeling and be like, I don't want to feel this. So I'm going to think of something nice and happy and it will go away. And often, like, you know, that emotional suppression over time, it really just intensifies that feeling. And then we see all of these other like offshoots of how we're managing those negative feelings now in really destructive ways. Oh, absolutely. Well, you wrote this book now to really unpack this concept and, you know, just the whole concept of affirmations not really working and the cognitive dissonance that they create. And so your book unpacks this concept. So can you walk us, tell us, well, I think we know why you wrote the book, but why you felt the need to actually unpack this into a book? Because it's a big concept and a book is a lot of a lot of writing. So there's a lot of experience yeah. that comes <laughs> with this, which is amazing. So, you know, tell us why you wrote the book and how you unpack this concept. I felt like the work I was doing on social media just wasn't able to have enough, enough depth to really adequately cover this topic. And There have, of course, been people that have tackled this from different angles before, but I felt as a therapist, I was seeing this in a way of how it was impacting our relationships and how we felt about ourselves. And I wanted to give people actual tools that they could use to kind of get more connected with other people and with themselves. So the way I went about that was trying to tackle not just those phrases that we just mentioned, but some of these other areas that I think we really run away from, like distressing thoughts or negativity, complaining, positive affirmations, and really looking at all these different things that fall under the umbrella of toxic positivity and force us to constantly think that way. Is there something interfering with your happiness, always preventing you from achieving your goals? I know this happens to me, even though I work in the field of mental health, and I find it incredibly helpful to talk to someone I trust when I find myself in the stuck place. Indeed, one of the best things about our society today is that we can access professional help at the click of a button. If we need to talk to someone about what we are going through, we don't even have to leave the house. This is why I love and recommend BetterHelp to everyone that asks me. They are an amazing company that can assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist so that you can start communicating in under 48 hours. BetterHelp is not a crisis line, It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. They also have a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. And their services are available for clients worldwide. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. That's better, H-E-L-P. And join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counsellors in all 50 states. I am proud to say that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
and cleaning up the mental mess listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. The link and offer details are in the show notes. Especially with the affirmations thing, because it's been a huge thing for the last probably 30 years where it's been a mm-hmm. massive thing. So just the other day, someone asked me, asked me, why do you think positive affirmations don't work? So I'm going to ask you that question. And I know yeah. you've partially answered it, but I think it will lead us into more depth in your book. So let me ask you that question. And how can people learn more about what you're saying in the book? So why mm-hmm. do positive affirmations not work? And how so is this po- impact in your book? Yeah, positive affirmations often don't work because what we're saying to ourselves, we don't believe to be true. We don't think that it's possible a lot of the time, or there's no action behind it. We're not really acting out or living that affirmation. And so what I go through in the book is really a more approachable way, I think, to creating positive affirmations and making them actually empowering by first looking at what are my values? What do I really want to be true? What do I want to live out in my life? And then thinking about okay, how can I make this sound like something that's possible for me that I have the resources for? So adding some of those words in, like instead of saying, I love myself, saying I am trying to love myself or I can show myself love and adding in some of these action words that I think make it more tangible for people. Then really looking at, okay, if I am trying to show myself love, what is that going to look like? I find that A lot of people are getting up in the morning, like you mentioned, looking in the mirror and saying, I love myself over and over. But then throughout the day, they're speaking negatively to themselves. They're, you know, criticizing their body. They're criticizing everything they do. And it's like, that's not what someone who loves themselves does. So how are you going to really tell yourself that affirmation and believe it if none of your actions back it up? So really getting into this mode of like, how can I piece this apart and find ways in my day to fulfill that affirmation? I need to say this. I feel the need to say that affirmation. But if I just say it without understanding the point behind it, so why am I feeling that need? If you don't go to that root mm-hmm. cause and then work out, it's just going to be a temporary Band-Aid that will fall off during the course of the day, like those Band-Aids that as soon as any water touches them, they just fall off. Right. So it's just, it just doesn't stick. And then that brings out the shame and the guilt. So you want you so you start with the values. You t- you help people to understand what do they want, why why do they need to actually have a positive affirmation in the first place? Right, and understanding where is that need coming from. I think sometimes we're told like we need to believe certain things about ourselves or that they're important for some reason, and maybe it's not actually important to you. Mm, I love that. So you know who's telling you that you need that. Right. You know, and where's that need coming from and why? And so it's been curious about why you feel the need to make that statement in your life. Just in terms of across social media, it's become such an issue. And, and you know, your, your post, as you said, went viral. Why do you think that's happened? Why do you think there's been this kind of reaction to toxic positivity, the concept of toxic positivity? Yeah, the reaction I got was kind of twofold, where there's people who are like, this is ridiculous. Positivity cannot be toxic. And then we have the people that are like, oh my gosh, I've been looking for a name for this all my life. And I, I do think it's in response a lot to the big like motivational speaker boom and this whole like, you can do anything you put your mind to where people are sort of realizing, okay, that didn't really work. But also with the pandemic, I noticed that there was this huge pressure, you know, from 
governments and, you know, officials and all these people to be like, we got to get through this together. We got to be positive. And yes, we need to show resilience and optimism in the face of, you know, serious threat. But there was this lack of acknowledgement that like, hey, this is really difficult and traumatic. And, you know, the celebrities like singing in their mansions on TV, like we're all in this together, just be positive. I think that wasn't resonating with people anymore. Definitely not with the average person (laughs) in the street who doesn't have a mansion just to sing and they got to try and put bread on the table. Exactly, exactly. So I think people are tired of it. They like want something different. Real. Don't you think it's real? So it's so you're not saying that positive affirmations are bad, nor am I. We're not saying they're bad, but we no. both saying that they're dangerous if used in the wrong way, in the wrong place. That's kind of how I yes. explained it to this person asking me the other day, that if you use them in the wrong place, they can cause a lot of damage to yeah. a person's psyche, to a person's perception of themselves. As you say, the shame thing. And I mean, you as a therapist know that shame is like massive in blocking healing. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about shame? Yeah. So shame is really that feeling of like, I am bad. There is something wrong with me. And I think we receive so many messages right now from social media, from the world about like things we need to be fixing about ourselves. Even like the therapist community online, I think plays a role in this. Right. And people are constantly like with self-help, like, what am I going to fix about myself next? You know, what is the next thing that's wrong with me? And I think that's such a terrible way to live. It's not enjoyable, which when I think about healing or self-help, I'm thinking about like, how can we get you to a place where life is fun and enjoyable and exciting for you, not where you're perfect. And so trying to work on that shame piece of like, maybe there isn't anything wrong with you. Maybe you're just a human being. And I think there's a lot less shame in that. I love that. So do you think some of the toxic positivity is, it's kind of almost like a paradox here because there is this massive move on social media to get people to fix themselves. And as you say, I like the way you say it, what's the next thing I've got to fix? It kind of leads to a level of self-preoccupation. And that self-preoccupation we know from the research and neuroscience and so on is actually counterproductive to you moving forward because you get stuck. And then we get stuck and then try and fix it with toxic positivity. Do we see this sort of playing out in, in the social media world? Absolutely. So I really think of it as sort of this like self-improvement cycle that we get stuck in and toxic positivity plays a role where you feel a feeling or you identify something you need to fix. And then somebody sort of gives you this like band-aid, whether it's positive thinking or manifestation or something. It's like, okay, I found the thing that's going to save me. And so you feel better for a minute And then something else comes up and you just keep kind of moving through this cycle. And I think when people accept like, yes, there are things I can improve about myself. And there are also things that are just part of me being a human being. There's a lot of freedom in that. And that preoccupation that you mentioned kind of lessens and we don't become so obsessed with like, am I thinking positive thoughts? Am I Am I anxiously attached? Am I this? Am I that? And like looking out for warning signs everywhere. Oh my gosh, I love what you're saying because this is just such a problem that I see on social media as well, it's like over therapism and, you know, trying to 
find the next thing. You, it's a total, it's breeding, as we said, the total self-preoccupation and people are getting so stuck in their feelings. But there's so much more than just feelings. Feelings don't exist in isolation. They exist attached mm-hmm. to details and they, and to perspective and, you know, different elements and they show up in different ways. And so and then, then that makes people feel so bad. And then they go and look for the, another quick fix and the next quick fix. And so we're almost breeding a cycle of over searching for the bad stuff in my life. I'm mm-hmm. constantly wrong versus seeing that there's, that's just part of being human and let's learn to live with it and what does it mean and how can I turn it around. And and then so they're going from the extreme of there's all these problems in my life. I've got to fix everything. Gosh, I can't fix them. Okay, there's the trick. Let me slap that toxic positivity little trick on. And then, oh, gosh, it's only lasted for a week. Now I feel awful. Now there's a whole lot more. So people are getting worse, not better from the sounds of things because that kind of would breed, as I said, counterproductive sort of goals. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it creates this fixation. Like I I did a post about this the other day that I've noticed this with my own clients of like this obsession with thoughts and what they mean and what's the deeper meaning. And I think we both know that there can be a lot of productiveness or productivity from looking at that. But sometimes it's just like you didn't have enough water that day or like you need to take a nap. Like sometimes it's not that deep. And I think we forget that we're just going to go through feelings from time to time that don't have this crazy meaning to that. I love what you're saying. So what you're saying is we need to we've put everything in the same basket. Every emotion is seen as some sort of illness or some problem versus mm-hmm. just the I didn't drink enough water or I'm exhausted or worked too hard the day before so your productivity is down and it can make you feel flat. doesn't mean there's some deep traumatic issue that you have to go and dive into. It means exactly. that there's the day-to-day struggle. So we need to distinguish, if I'm hearing you say correctly, which I'm so pleased I'm hearing you say correctly because you're <laughs> nodding, is that we need to distinguish between the day-to-day struggles that we need to sort of deal with in a much more balanced way and a much more graceful way and and not you know, give ourselves a humanity kind of touch versus the deep established patterns that need the actual fixed time of work. And I think that that's blended into one thing. Everything's now, oh, gosh, I feel like this. there must be some trauma in my life that's mm-hmm. now causing this. Meanwhile, it could, as you said, just be the lack of water that day or the lack of sleep or something like that and not as deep. Is, am I hearing exactly. you correctly? Yes, absolutely. And I think that's where toxic positivity kind of comes in is that there are situations where positivity can become toxic. Like we're talking about these really deep, you know, trauma, infertility, mental health struggles that, yeah, we, we don't want to slap a bandaid on that. And then there's a lot of nuance in there that, you know, maybe if you just had a rough day and you're in a bad mood, it's okay to say to yourself, like, I'm going to go to sleep and evaluate this in the morning and not go into this spiral of like, does this mean that I'm diagnosed with X, Y, and Z and kind of going down that rabbit hole? Yeah, I think this whole wanting to diagnose an illness as some kind of mental disease every five seconds has really created a problem. I want to come back to your book and I I want to, could you, can you, I thank you, this is such a great discussion and so important and it's so relatable. What will what would someone get out of being able to work through the book? And you talk about the layout and what you're actually taking them through in the process to basically help with the issues that we've laid on the table. So we've laid a few problems that are happening in our current social media world and mm-hmm. our environment currently, and you have written this book that is going to help people manage that situation. So could you talk a little bit more about the sort of layout of the book and what people would benefit from going through the book? 
So at the beginning of the book, I really get into what toxic positivity is for anyone that doesn't understand it or the history. I think that's, that was one of my favorite chapters to write and research. And then from there, I really get into exactly how to respond and what to ask for in these 11 different situations where positivity can particularly become toxic. From there, I go into complaining, how to complain effectively, how to feel an emotion, especially like distressing emotions or things that are difficult for you. And after that, really looking at how shame can show up, how to use positive affirmations in a helpful instead of shame-inducing way. And at the end of the book, I just talk a lot about how toxic positivity has become really a cultural force, I think, that shows up in a lot of different areas around racism, discrimination, things like that, and how we can show up better in those areas. Beautiful. I love that layout. Let's talk about the last chapter first. I like the, the, the where toxic positivity can show up. Can you give us, in, you said in racism, politics, socioeconomic situations, that would be a really good, because I don't think people have thought about toxic positivity quite as specifically as that. So would you mind highlighting that a little bit? Yeah. So I think people usually think that toxic positivity is just a list of phrases not to say. And really, it's so much bigger than that. And what I found in my research was that we are using a lot of toxic positivity in response to real issues in the world. So one I saw a lot during the pandemic was when people are discussing racism, saying things like, can't we all just love each other? Let's all just get along. All we need is peace, you know, whatever it is. And so we're using these phrases to really silence people and say, I get that you're saying that and it's a problem for you, but I kind of wish you could just like brush it under the rug. And you see this very often throughout the research that toxic positivity was a force in like the eugenics movement, eliminating people who had trouble regulating their emotions from society, you know, using it to reinforce ableism, things like that, that I was really shocked, to be honest, how deep this goes. And I think it's one of the most surprising chapters of the book. Wow. And that, I mean, that goes to the current psychiatric movement where, you know, people are sort of locked away or I know that sounds extreme, but it does happen where people are Mm -hmm. pushed into a box and into a corner and labeled and diagnosed because of of what it does to society. If you're uncomfortable with someone, you know, breaking down or, you know, not being like, what we say is normal. Would that also fall into that? You know, as you described that, I immediately thought of that. So I wanted to ask you about that chapter because that's how I saw that as well as a big issue. For sure. And we can see that in the sense that we have certain things in society that are labeled happiness inducing and things that prevent happiness. And so a lot of that can be looked at like people who have been diagnosed with mental illness, people who are disabled, all these types of people that were like, oh, we kind of don't want to have them in the public eye unless they're doing something inspirational and they overcome the odds and we can sort of celebrate them. Otherwise, we don't see a lot of stories about people just living normal lives, you know, who are maybe living with something or struggling with something. And I think that has a lot to do with wanting everything to be positive and happy. Gosh, you know, you've hit on something that's really touched my heart because I'm 38 years in this field. And I mean, I trained, you know, I started practicing nearly 30 years, 35 years ago. We had a policy of, or a philosophy of inclusion. And our whole objective and our whole training was 
to get everyone included, no matter what you look like, get comfortable with someone who doesn't look or sound or do things the same as you. And we worked so hard, like in the schools where I worked and in the environments where I worked, to get inclusion. It was a massive policy. It became a whole policy in education. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now I see that shift. Now that you pointed this out, it's actually shifted from inclusion to exclusion, although no one would admit that. But if you... The way you've described it and the things that you're saying and just the things that you've triggered in my mind, it sounds like we've moved away from inclusion to to exclusion. It's wanting everything to look a certain way, I think, drives that. And, And especially with social media, you know, the stories we hear are always about like the one who made it, who overcame everything. Otherwise, we just don't hear about these things. People are sort of siloed. I hope that as we move away from toxic positivity, we, we get more comfortable with just like seeing people living their lives in different ways and that being okay. That's so healthy. That's so healthy. You know, one platform that I see this potentially happening on more quick, more quickly than the others is TikTok because yes. it's all about trying to, you know, sharing humor, sharing humanity, sharing my story. The, some of the, the, the most popular stories on TikTok are people that are talking about what they're battling with, into, but not in the Instagram style where it's, you know, laying out all your, I don't know, it's just different. It seems to be, it just seems to be a little more real. I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I just sense that it's a platform where we're looking at our humanity and humor and reality. And hopefully yeah. that will create a, you know, have a big influence on the other social media platforms with the there seems to be less toxic positivity on TikTok. I could be wrong. No, I, I agree. I just got on there recently. And to me, it's a much more like lighthearted, fun atmosphere. And also, like you said, real people that are not so curated and overly done, just kind of sharing. You know, I just had my first child and I see a lot of moms on TikTok sharing like their messy houses and how hard it is to become a parent and when I'm on Instagram, I just see like babies dressed perfectly and photo shoots and it's this real. <laughs> and mothers, yeah, this like world yeah. that doesn't real, that doesn't exist. <laughs> exactly. It reminds you of the 50s. If you go back and look at the photos in the 50s of the perfectly dressed mom who's got the apron on and the house is perfect and the kids are sitting there all dressed up and the meals yeah. prepared. And I mean, it's so unrealistic and unrealistic about what really happens back at, you know, back at the ranch. Well, I love that. And, and I'm so glad that you've, that you've tackled this very, very important subject. Okay, so you talk about complaining and doing that in a positive way. And that really caught my attention because I've done quite a lot of stuff on what complaining does in the brain. And it's one of the most popular things that I can talk about and, you know, how to Mm -hmm. manage this. So I was very, very excited when you spoke about that in the book. Can you talk more about that and how you handle it and link it to, to toxic positivity? Yeah. You know, I noticed a trend in my office where people were coming in for therapy and saying, I know I shouldn't complain, but... I should be grateful, but I'm like, this is therapy. Like, this is the place where you really you can't can do it. <laughs> complain, you know? And it seems like it's this very criticized habit that, of course, as you know, when done excessively is not helpful. But what I have found is that when people complain and they know exactly what they want to complain about, they know the facts, they know what they want the results to be or what they want to change, and they know who can make that happen. Complaining can actually be quite effective in creating change, inspiring creativity, or connecting with other people. Now, people get stuck in these loops of complaining when they keep going to the wrong person who really can't do anything for them or makes them feel worse, or they aren't even sure what they want. 
out of the complaint is when I find that people tend to get stuck in that place where it becomes unhelpful. Wow, that's so insightful. So the complaining gets into a toxic loop if people don't actually understand what they're complaining about and where they want it to go. So mm-hmm. you encouraging people to complain but not stay there and make progress forward. Okay, what am I complaining about? What do I want changed? What mm-hmm. was the reason behind? What do I, where do I want to go? So you're making them move forward. Is that exactly. correct? You yes. said it so beautifully when you started. Could you summarize that again? Because I think this is a very, very powerful point for people to focus on. Yes. So if you're going to complain, what the research really shows us that is most effective is if you know exactly what you want to complain about. So what's bothering you? What are the facts? Really honing in on that. And then thinking about what do I want? And that might be just for someone to listen and validate you, or maybe you want to create some type of actual change. And then the third piece is, how can I get this? Who can do this for me? Who can create that change? Who can listen to me? And when those three things line up, I find that people are able to just do the complaint and then they don't really need to sit there and do it much more. And that's where that toxic positivity piece comes in that the situation I always like to bring up is like, if my spouse comes home and he wants to complain about work that day. And I immediately go in with, well, tomorrow will be better and don't worry about it. You know, why don't you just talk to your boss? He'll fix it. And I go in with this like fixing positive spin. And he really just wanted me to listen. That if I instead just said, wow, that sounds really hard. I, I hope tomorrow's better. Like, let me know if you want to talk about it more. Usually he stops complaining after that because he got what he needed the venting was met with compassion and then we can move on. I find that the complaining lasts a lot longer when you do it the other way. Oh, that's brilliant. That is probably like a, a an incredible way of understanding toxic positivity and the damage mm-hmm. that we do. And it's so well-intentioned because you want to take the pain away and you said there you want to fix it, but we can't fix anyone else. You have to just be the person to listen, which then activates their own resilience, and then they can work out how they can deal with it. So the complaining needs to be listened to with compassion. And then the person can identify what they actually need and how to deal with that need. That's brilliant. And so this is that's really a good example of how toxic positivity is almost damaging. If you're enjoying my show, I'm so excited to share another podcast you may love, the Melanie Avalon podcast biohacking podcast. Each week, Melanie interviews the world's top experts on all things health, wellness, and biohacking. If you want to learn more about reducing stress, tackling your sleep, cold exposure, red light therapy, finding the right diet for you, optimizing your environment, and so much more, you will love Melanie's show. I listen every week in my sauna and always learn so much. Melanie has interviewed top health experts like Dave Asprey, Wim Hof, David Sinclair, Rob Wolf, John Gray, and me, and many more. Melanie is known for bringing on all different perspectives. My recent favorite episode is the fascinating interview she did with Dr. Anthony Beck on problems with biohacking and how our environment, lifestyle, mindset, nutrition, genetics, and biochemical individuality affect our mental and physical health. I also love the episode she did with Dr. Terry Walls on the Walls Protocol, reversing neurological disorders and healing the myelin sheath. Learn all about life-changing science, tips, tricks, and hacks in the biohacking world with the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. 
Visit MelanieAvalon.com for episode lists and transcripts and search for the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also join her Facebook groups and follow her on Instagram. Just search for Melanie Avalon. The link and details will be in the show notes. So here's a big question. Why do you think as a society, and I think we've done this for generations, why do you think we've, and okay, you've named it and it's now become a thing, but why do we as humans, and I know it's well intentions, so I want the deeper answer. I'm, I know people have good intentions, and I know that this has been done for centuries. It's kind of how humans function, trying to make things better and fix. Why do you think we still do it when it doesn't work? <laughs> why do you yeah. think we do it in the first place? I think it's all about control. People want to have control over their lives. They want to fix things. Humans like a very neat story with a beginning and an end. And so for a while now, this has been sold, you know, on a silver platter through religion, healthcare, self-help of like, if you just change your thoughts, you will get everything you want. You will be happy. You will be rich. You will have friends. People will love you. Like I've seen this repackaged and sold in so many ways, right? And that is so enticing. You know, I've fallen for it before. I'm like, okay, if I just do this, I'll be perfect. And I think when we realize like it's not working, it's very it's very hard for people to accept that they don't have full control over their lives. We of course have some control, but sometimes things just happen. Bad things happen to good people. The world can be very random. And I think we're all trying to make sense of that in our own way and assert control over that really scary reality. So people have responded to that very random nature of life by trying to do the sort of packaging of the last few years of, you know, secret and the law of attraction and just and, and affirmations and all coming with elements of truth, but used in a way that is actually, as you said, enticing, because it sounds like, okay, that's the way to fix it. And I love that you've said, because thoughts are, are, are what we build from experience and it's how, how we, from the thought we show up. But that's why I always talk about the fact that we need to reconceptualize. You can't swap a thought. You can't take a toxic thought and just swap it out for a positive affirmation mm-hmm. or another thought. You have to go and see the need. I'm complaining. That's an action. It's coming from a thought. What is the need? You have to reconceptualize that. And, and, and that means it still stays with you. It doesn't mean that bad work day goes away. It's still there, but you've made it work for you. Like you described with your husband, you've taken or your partner or whoever this, you get, you created a situation. If someone comes in and, and complains, whatever, by listening, you have allowed them to embrace and process and reconceptualize versus just, oh, don't think about that. Think about this. And that's exactly. the danger because it creates the gap. And mm-hmm. that gap creates that sense of dis- dissatisfaction or edginess or things are not quite right. And it's it's unstable. So people won't stay there. Yes. Yeah. What you're talking about is so accurate that like we have to create a new story, a new belief, a new understanding, not just this like, okay, I had a negative thought. Now replace it with a positive one because oh I hate that kind of teaching yeah yeah <laughs> sorry I mean to interrupt whole, you there. no it's I mean I have the same reaction I I think it then feels like I still have all these stories and experiences in this life I've lived underneath that band aid you know to circle back to the beginning of our conversation that we're trying to put on this well I'm sure Whitney just hearing you say that you probably cringe when you see some of these conferences that are thousands of people go to and they pay thousands of dollars and the people that are running the conferences or running the concepts or the 
pyramid schemes or the not even the pyramid schemes as much as just the sort of these people, these these leaders, these gurus, and they're standing up there saying, if you just write it down and believe it, you're going to get it. There's so much danger in that because, they, you know, they've seen yeah. that person on the stage and saying, I wrote this down and look where I am, five Rolls Royces later. And, you know, and that, that's toxic positivity, isn't it? I mean, that's a real – and there's so much <sighs> yeah. of that. And the only people yeah. really getting more Rolls Royces in the case is the person standing on the stage. And, you know, that's so dangerous and there's so much more to it. But that's, I think that's a very classic case of toxic positivity gone very wrong. Absolutely. And we see toxic positivity really becoming rampant in those communities. And it's this overgeneralization of like, you usually see this perfect recipe, right? Like someone went through something difficult in their life. They somehow changed everything, changed their thoughts, and now they're going to teach you how to do it. And it's this overgeneralization, I think, of that skill, which you and I both know is much more difficult. Much more complex. It's, it's almost it like... To be. Yeah, it's, it's almost like the clinical illusion manifested in, you know, even though it's maybe it's the person's isolated example, but it's that same concept of the clinical illusion where you see one thing and then you generalize to the greater population. I loved mm-hmm. how you said the word recipe, because that's one thing about resilience. And I know you've done research in this area, too, but we're all way more resilient than what we realize. But that resilience that you that you that you activate for this experience doesn't guarantee that you're going to carry that exact same formula into the next experience. And that's for you as the individual. So how can we identify the traits of resilience or the traits of that's in itself quite toxic because there's yes there's general positive and you can make a 500 list of all the things that that x person got through to get from through that struggle but if you try and match those in a recipe format into your next struggle and it was their struggle you, it's not going to work very well mm-hmm. and you know that's what the research shows and people don't talk about this enough that's why i love your work because people don't talk about the fact that if you follow that recipe of toxic positivity recipe the concept of toxic positivity being follow the recipe of someone else's success it's not going to work for you then you feel shame you know that whole gap mm-hmm. thing again Exactly. And you keep thinking like, okay, back to that self-help cycle, like, okay, this one didn't work for me. So now I'm going to go to this person's recipe or this person's thing. And, and we're not looking at like what makes us unique and what we might need, you know, to kind of tailor it to us. Mm, that's amazing. Do you think and see a shift happening in social media, the world of therapy, you know, the world of self-help shift, is there a real, do you think there's a realization that this is not really working that well? I mean, it's still very rampant and there's still a lot of big money made out of it, but do you think it's becoming more realistic? So the philosophy you and I hold, do you see, do you see a shift? I definitely am starting to see it more than I did, you know, four or five years ago. I think there's a big divide within, you know, certain communities and what they're putting out there. But I can only hope that the more that we talk about this and show people that there's another way or that they're not, I used to feel like I was the only one that thought this. And now that I'm having conversations with you and other people, it's like a lot of people are looking at that and saying like, oh, that's not, that doesn't work. And so if we can just keep talking about that, I think, you know, whoever's listening to this will be like, oh, maybe I felt that too. And it's okay for me to opt out of this or to decide I wanted to do it differently for myself. Mm -hmm. We need a little bit more humanity back. I kind of feel the reality of being human and the reality of battling through life. Whitney, this has been a wonderful conversation and I look forward to, always look forward to talking to you. And I know we'll do this again. Definitely do this again. And how can people get your book and find out more about you? 
Yes, you can find my book, Toxic Positivity, anywhere books are sold. You can find me on Instagram at sitwithwit and my website is sitwithwit.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Do you have any last pearl of wisdom that you'd like to give us before we end this amazing conversation? I hope people, again, just take from this book that it's okay to be human and that you don't need to feel amazing all the time. There's a lot of value in that negativity or complaining that can be used to help you live a better life. That's one of my favorite things I've heard lately. Thank you for that statement. It's absolutely wonderful and freeing for so many people. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been wonderful. Thank you for having me. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then... I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.